The Guardian. So our health editor, Sarah Bosley, got a message from Ian Katz, the deputy editor of the paper, to Sarah Bosley from Ian Katz. Subject. NHS budget. What did he want to know? Well, the government says it's putting more money into the NHS, but doctors and hospitals keep talking about cuts, he said. What's that all about? Can you find out and do a really thorough piece about what's going on and put some shoe leather into it? Go and talk to people on the front line. And that's our focus for this week. Why are people complaining about the cuts? Will they damage the NHS? And let's cut to the chase. What will this mean to you and me if we get ill? I don't know, but Sarah's been investigating. So let's find out. Who's this, Sarah? This is Bill. He lives in Mortimer. It's a little village near Reading, and he's waiting for a hip replacement. There we go. My wife gets the newspaper in the morning for me. And I sit in my conservatory, read the newspaper, do the crossword. Then in the afternoon, <laughs> I've got a, a, a greenhouse. I uh, go and sit in there and look after my tomatoes. I've got a stool in there. I can sit down and do it. Uh, in the afternoon, go to sleep in front of Midsummer Murders. <laughs> and, uh, well, then have my dinner. <laughs> Luckily, Bill has a really supportive wife. Just watching him breaks my heart to be behind him and see him walking so badly. I have to say that uh, I would be a lot worse off if Helen wasn't here. So, uh, yes, I am a bit of an encumbrance. I just feel for him so much. I just feel so sorry for him and wish that I could make it better for him. And um, it does restrict our life. He won't come out with me because he he just, just doesn't want to move from the car car to a house. We'll go to friends' houses. He prefers friends to come here. And there are lots of lovely things we would both like to do. We'd like to go walking. I would like to go up to the town and look at things and theatres. And I can't. I can go on my own, but um, I feel as I'm having a good life, and he isn't. He's staying at home. So Sarah, how does he fit into Ian's question about the NHS budget? Well, he was originally quoted a reasonable weight. 18 weeks made me think, OK, that's fine. I'm, you know, I'm not unhappy with that at all. But then <laughs> things went on and on and on and I didn't hear anything. So I thought, I'll phone the hospital. So he did. And he phoned once in March and then he phoned again in May. And it carried on that way. He got nice answers, but nobody could give him any assurance that he would get it done anytime soon. And his wife got involved, so she sent emails. Helen emailed the Patients Association, in fact, to ask them about delays in hip operations. And she also emailed the PCT and asked them what could be done about it. They contacted the orthopaedic department of the hospital, and finally she got a date, or Bill got a date for his operation. That is going to be in July. By that time, he'll have waited not 18 weeks, but 31. So where does Bill take us? Well, Bill is a hugely important part of this story because it looks as though the NHS budget squeeze is going to end up with people like him waiting longer. According to the healthcare charity, the King's Fund, it's happening in quite a big way already. They had a report in April which said that waiting times for hospital treatment have reached the highest level for three years already. But that's not what was supposed to happen. The second point, 
is we won't be able to get waiting times down, we won't be able to improve uh, in our public health in this country unless we cut the bureaucracy in the NHS. That is what this is about. Well, there's a voice we know, David Cameron, and time to bring another Guardian journalist now. Uh, I'm Randy Ramesh, I'm the Social Affairs Editor of The Guardian, and I look at NHS policy in, in, in the round. Well, it's always a hot potato, um, the, the politics of this. So backtrack a little for us, right back to Labour. Um, what was their record? Well, when Labour came in, they inherited what, what's widely regarded as a bargain basement NHS, where waiting lists were about two years. You'd wait a couple of years before, you know, doctor would see you and, and treat you for a hip replacement. Um, it was very cheap, um, very effective. Many drugs weren't available. So uh, Labour, of course, stuck to very tight uh, spending rounds uh, when they inherited from the Conservative government before them. But then at 2000, on the sofa with David Frost, Tony Blair let out uh, the NHS cat out of the bag, where he said he would match European levels of funding. That was, we would devote 8% of our GDP to spending on the health service. Um, was that really the first people knew about that? Uh, that was certainly the first that Gordon Brown knew about it, I think, <laughs> if you remember. At the time, he claimed that uh, the Prime Minister had stolen his budget. <laughs> So uh, we then proceeded to invest heavily in the NHS um, and Labour, from about 2000, they roughly doubled in real terms NHS spending. I mean, if you look at in a report by the King's Fund last year, they went from about 60 billion, and these figures are 2011 figures, to 120 billion. But where did that money go? Now that is the key question. Uh, obviously there were new hospitals built, there were many new drugs that came on stream and we had a new way of... Uh, working out whether drugs were effective or not. But about 40% of it, or at least what, what people reckoned to be that figure, went on doctors' wages. And uh, memorably, the uh, health secretary, John Reid, said he was going to mug doctors in order to get the reforms. And most, by most concern, he was mugged. And he seemed to be the man to, to mug. If anyone was going to mug the doctors, it would have been him, I would have thought. Yeah. But it was the other way around. It was the other way around, doctor. Now, we have some of the best paid physicians in the world. GPs are probably the best paid uh, primary care physicians in the world at the moment. They have an average salary of about £105,000 a year. So Labour threw money at it. Did it work? Did it improve the service? I think it probably did for patients. Um, there's two ways of looking and at And doctors. This. And doctors, yeah. Um, patients themselves would have seen waiting lists come down. They would have seen new hospitals and new drugs. Now, if you look at the productivity figures, which are measured by how many ambulance trips and patients were treated, divided by the amount of money you put in, productivity fell by about 3% a year from 1995 to 2008. Now, that kind of level of productivity loss is what the Conservatives have focused on in the last election. And it was, a, it was the Achilles heel of the Labour argument. So we had this cash-rich period for the NHS, uh, but then came the recession and the government knew it had to save. So in 2009, Labour commissioned the big management consultancy McKinsey's to figure out how much they needed to save and how it could be done. I talked to John Appleby, who's chief economist at the King's Fund. He's someone that everybody respects and the government listens to as well. Well, the McKinsey report was commissioned by the Department of Health. They knew that the future was going to be tight financially. We were in the midst of a global banking crisis. There was a recession on the horizon. Huge amounts of public money were being put into the banks and to, into the economy. It was clear that public finances in the future, the near future, were going to be under huge pressure. So that was a task that McKinsey's had, and that's what they did. And they came up with a, a, a broad figure. 
independently, I work with um, researchers from the Institute of Fiscal Studies and we did a similarish sort of bit of work. I mean, we also saw the problems financially. As, as it happens, we came up with a similar figure of around 20 billion as the value of the gap. So, 20 billion to save, then came the election. Uh, indeed, and the Conservatives stuck by the £20 billion figure, the, called it the Nicholson Challenge after Sir David Nicholson, who's the chief executive of the NHS and who came up with the figure. They made it a little bit easier by giving uh, the public another year to find that £20 billion. but it, it amounts to a huge hole in NHS finances. Quite how they get to that is probably beyond the scope of this programme, but the King's Fund actually went back and redid the figures and said the hole's even bigger than the 20 billion. It's another 28 billion. So the figures are sort of gigantic in their scale. This coalition government made a commitment to protect the NHS and increase health spending every year. Today we honour that commitment in full. Total health spending will rise each year over and above inflation. This year we are spending £104 billion on healthcare capital and current combined. By the end of four years... We'll but of course it seemed a good idea when George Osborne announced it in the budget. It, at the time when, when George Osborne announced it, the figures actually looked good. They gave the NHS a little bit more money. But since then inflation has risen thanks to our, our monetary policy and we've seen a cut emerge in NHS funding. Economics is, you know, it's a technical sport, but um, I don't think the Tories are unaware of the intricacies of the game. So inflation's not what Osborne said it would be. And the thing is that it's just not just ordinary inflation as far as the NHS is concerned. Costs go up all the time in the health service um, anywhere in the world. And we've got real issues because the population's getting older and older. A life expectancy in 1960 was 70. By 2009, it was over 80. And it's obviously going up all the time. So the older you get, the more things go wrong with you and the more treatment you need. Um, and the treatment that we have is getting more and more expensive. We've got high-tech machines and hugely costly drugs, such as those for cancer, that uh, people make a big fuss about when we don't pay for them. This is why the McKinsey report said the first thing, the top line, was that 10% of the workforce should go. That was 137,000 posts. That was never going to make them popular, was it? No, hardly. Which may be why Labour didn't actually publish this report. So it came out in March 2009. It wasn't published until the Tories got into power course it fitted in much better with the Tory philosophy and so they, they presumably were happy to, to publish it and I suppose to show that kind of Labour were, were ducking the big decisions I suppose is how they would put it. Well what's interesting is that Labour actually did take on board what was being said because within a couple of months of this report actually being handed over to them David Nicholson the chief executive of the NHS issued what he has ever since been called the Nicholson challenge <laughs> to senior people within the NHS um, behind closed doors, so this was not supposed to leak out, but of course it immediately did. To, to the, the right-wing press, I suppose, because it did them some good, didn't it? Well, it did, but the, I think the Health Service Journal actually takes the plaudits for this. They got it first, and the headline there was, DH is told 137,000 NHS posts must go in next five years, which, of course, uh, was bad news for Labour. And, of course, I, I love the fact that they call it the, the Nicholson Challenge, so whatever happens here on in, it's kind of his fault. Yes, um, I'm not sure that Nicholson minds this. He's a fairly robust character, as you might say. So when people say that the NHS does have to manage with less, that's about right? Oh yes, nobody's arguing now that the NHS can spend the same amount of money. It's got to spend less, but how you do it is the question. 
And optimists say it can be done better. You can get more and better treatment for the same money. Pessimists, and some would call them realists, say the only way to reduce spending is to slash and burn with cuts and redundancies, ward closures, that sort of thing. I spoke to um, Alan Maynard, actually, Professor of Health Economics at York University, who chaired the York NHS Trust for 12 years until last year. He's very robust on this. I'll tell you what he said to me. He said, you squeeze everything you can, but the only way you can reduce expenditure is to cut labour costs, which means closing wards. So waiting times go up. You have to do the emergency stuff or they die in your car park. There's one uh, PCT that's almost codified this, isn't there? Um, I think you, you, you went to see them. Explain how they do it. Well, as I said, all over the country now, hospitals and PCTs are really thinking very hard about how to make, get more treatment out of the limited amount of money that's available. So in Warwickshire PCT, they've come up with a programme called Fast Slow Stop. What they're doing is trying to rationalise what they pay for. So say with hip operations like bills, if you're in emergency, you get it done straight away. If you can wait a bit, because you're actually quite mobile, you're not doing too badly, then you'll be on the slow track, which means that you might get it in the next financial year, not this one. And then there's the stop element, which is for things that the NHS really shouldn't be doing anyway, according to doctors, uh, in which they would include things like acupuncture, which are not said to work very well. So that's a direct answer in a way to the cat's question isn't it because there is all this money but then there are these decisions being made about prioritizing the treatment and so if you're a patient uh, you may well be wondering why you're waiting longer because there is all this money that everyone's talking about but it's because someone is making a decision about whether you need need to be treated now or maybe you can wait a year. Yes where it's done properly where people are really thinking it through and coming up with bright ideas like this one and where doctors are getting together from GPN and also hospitals as they're doing in Warwickshire then I think it can work but um, there are of course uh, going to be places where they're not quite that imaginative. I spoke to Steve Jones who's chief executive of Warwickshire PCT. This year um, we have a target of um, £70 million of extra value to come out of the system so that's around 5% of our overall budget of £1.4 billion. It raised some concerns. I think um, patients were concerned, what does this mean for me and my family? If I need care will I get it quickly? Um, And I think for for um, for the doctors in the system and for, for the hospitals in the system is understanding what does this mean for us longer term? How do we have to, to change our behaviour? What's the expectations of us? GPs like Francis Campbell, who is also from Warwickshire, in fact he's on the PCT but he's a GP as well, they're going to be doing more, not less, because patients are going to be shipped out of the expensive hospital beds into primary care. I think it is going to be a very difficult um, process for the PCT. I think there are areas of savings that can be made, such as uh, medicines waste. We estimate eight million a year in in Warwickshire on drugs that are cashed, i.e., got from the uh, chemist but not actually used. How do we make um, better use of that? However, um, a lot of the work that moves from secondary care into primary care, from hospitals into general practice, If it were successful, the savings for that has to come from bed closures and therefore from from staff losses. So this is King's College Hospital in South London. It's hospitals that are going to be the worst hit by the need to make savings. They're the ones that provide the most expensive care and they've got large numbers of staff. They've got to do things cheaper and some are going to manage this better than others. King's is run by the only NHS chief executive to have come in from big business. 
Tim Smart used to run BT Global and before that he worked for Shell. His hospital made savings of 10% last year and reckoned to do the same this year too. We're reducing the average length of stay in the hospital, which is actually good for patients. If you're coming in for a hip replacement and you only need to be here for three days, then you should only be here for three days instead of being, if you're here for five. That inevitably means that we, that we need fewer beds. We treat about a million patients a year and that number keeps increasing and I think we've got about a hundred beds uh, less at this point in time than we had than we had a year ago uh, and that's because we've become more efficient. And are there some patients who might actually be better treated in the community rather than hospital? What do you think about that? It's expensive to be treated in a hospital. Uh, the simplest example that, that I always quote is you need intravenous drugs because of uh, your rehabilitation from a procedure, um, then it's much it's much more appropriate that, that those drugs should be administered by an, a, a district nurse or a community care worker um, in your in your home uh, than it is than you should you should come into the hospital. So it helps the hospital become more efficient. Uh, it helps the, the the system become more efficient because it costs less to do it in that way than if you're in a hospital, and it's much better for you, the patient. So Sarah, he seems very at home in the new world. Is he typical? Well, there are going to be some people around like him who've got really bright ideas and a really uh, a sharp business sense who will maybe manage this quite well. But there are going to be other hospitals that have a lot more in the way of problems. Hospitals have to cut an average of 4%. That's the figure that's been put around. That's the 20 billion. So their share of that is 4% cut. But it really does depend on circumstances. A monitor which regulates the foundation trusts has said it ought to be more like 7%. Well, King's, as you heard, is saving 10%. But some hospitals are going to have a really tough job to make savings even 4% because they've got serious historic deficits. Look at Imperial, for instance, which uh, is in the red to the tune of 40 million before they even start to talk about saving money. Um, there's, um, there's quite a list of hospitals that uh, are doing poorly, according to the latest NHS report, in fact. Um, these ones are said to be challenged on finance. <laughs> Lovely euphemism. So the list goes Barking, Havering and Redbridge, North West London, Portsmouth, South London, Trafford, West Middlesex and Whips Cross. Some of those are hospitals and some are PCTs, but they're all going to find it difficult. So again, this is another key component of, of the answer to the cat's question, isn't it? Because if we're talking about why is it patchy and why, why did, might the services in my area not be as I think they should be, given all the money that's gone in, one of the problems is that some trusts were almost going in, what was that phrase, going into bat with one hand tied behind their backs because they've got these debts. Yeah, they're going to find it very hard to shift them. Um, and the NHS has always had a problem with, with deficits. Back in Patricia Hewitt's time, it was quite a scandal because the government hadn't really appreciated how much in the red hospitals really were. So you've got all these financial pressures upon trusts who were financially pressured to begin with because they were paying off these huge debts. Yes, that's right. Though interestingly, Tim Smart says that uh, the, the sort of deficits they run in the NHS are nothing like business has to deal with. Are the people who run the, the trust in the NHS, though, uh, typically, do they have the acumen that they do in the business world? Well, according to him, he's incredibly impressed. He's the, as I said, the only NHS chief exec who comes from the private sector. And uh, he says that the management in the NHS is really, really good. So we're asking a lot of our hospitals, uh, and this is all going to be very messy, obviously, but is it even possible? Our health economist, John Appleby, doesn't think so. If we look at history, I think the answer is definitely not. <laughs> um, 
the history of productivity improvements in the NHS, and not just the NHS but healthcare systems around the world, is very poor. In the private sector, not just private healthcare sector, but private sector generally, you tend to see productivity improvements of around 2% a year. The NHS, in England at least, is being asked to make productivity improvements totaling something like 4 to 5 to maybe even slightly higher percent per year, year on year for four years. So, historically, it's never done that. So, from that point of view, I, I have my doubts. I'm also, I, I, I would be worried that we won't actually know whether we've done it because we won't be measuring all the things we need to measure in order to know that we've achieved this improvement in value. We will measure, of course, the number of hip operations that are done and cataracts and visits to GPs and drugs dispensed and so on. But that's only part of the, the picture, the productivity picture. The, the bigger part is actually having improved quality of care defined as, well, defined as improved health. We know that quality does improve. The, the hip operations we do now are much better than the hip operations that were done 20 years ago. Uh, they last longer, uh, better materials used, there's less pain, patients stay in hospital less and so on. These are all aspects of the quality of care. So I would, I would be worried that we'll get to the end of four years and won't be able to say for sure whether the NHS has improved its productivity. Well, this is absolutely key. John Appleby, uh, as usual, has analysed this perfectly. What's really going on is that we need to get more value for the money that we're spending. We need to do things better. And if we don't do things better, then the only alternative is to cut jobs and to close wards and to do the sort of slash and burn things that people are afraid might happen. So the government says that it can achieve a lot of this just by cutting managers. Is that going to be enough? I think that's maybe inspired by the McKinsey report's suggestion that you can cut 10% of the workforce and the general dislike of bureaucracy and, and managers that the government uh, keeps talking about. They hope that they can achieve this by disbanding the PCTs. If they get rid of the PCTs, that's a lot of managers out the window. But, of course, the GP consortia coming along are going to need some managers to help them actually decide what they're going to buy in the way of treatment from hospitals. So I suspect we might get these managers re-employed It'll be the same people. It could well be the same people, very likely. So at the end of the day, have we answered the cat's question? Why why this disparity, all this money going in, but no one having a feeling that the service is getting better and some people feeling that in some places the service is getting worse? Yes, I think we've got there. I think it's, uh, it's a very difficult time for the NHS. It's got to do more for less, that's essentially it, and that's the answer to the question. Okay, well, I think we've cracked it, and... uh, if uh, I can understand it, I'm sure he will. Uh, thanks to Sarah Bosley for uh, taking us on this journey. Thanks to Peter Sale, who was our guide, our Sherpa, if you like. Um, he's the producer of this podcast. I'm Hugh Muir. Thank you for listening and goodbye. great downloads go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio